0: we're going to read from revelation uh it's the last book in the bible and it describes the wealth of god's creation so revelation 21 starting at verse 18 the wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass the foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone the first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass.
1: Thank you, Corinne. Hello, everyone. Great to see you. Uh, We're going to have another Bible reading in just a moment, Um, but uh, I just wanted to tell you about a guy um, who was on his deathbed, uh, and he was a very wealthy man, uh, and he just felt really grieved because he had so much he'd accumulated throughout life, uh, and he just didn't want to let it all go. And so he prayed to God, please God let me take some of my wealth with me uh, to heaven. Uh, And God, you know, God said, no, you won't need any of that. But this guy just was so persistent that in the end, God relented. Uh, And God said, yes, you may take one suitcase full uh, of your possessions. And so the guy racked his brain thinking, what do I take? I've got so much. How could I fit my life into a suitcase? And then it, it struck him that gold never loses its value. And so he he, he got a whole lot of those gold bricks, gold bullion, filled the suitcase, biggest suitcase he could find, and had it ready. And then the t- time came for him. He died. Uh, he appeared before the gate uh, of heaven. Uh, and St. Peter was there. And, uh, and Peter said, look, I'm, I'm afraid you can't take anything in with you. And the guy said, oh, no, no, I've got special permission from God. Uh, and so this is highly unusual. So Peter got on the phone uh, this is not theologically correct. This story, right? so, um, but he got on the. Uh, he got on, Peter got on the phone and, said, and 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 a surprised look on his face. Uh huh. Uh huh. And he gets off the phone. And he says, "Well, apparently you're right. You do have special permission. Uh, you can take this suitcase in. But gee, I've got a. I'm so intrigued. Can you just show me what's in the suitcase?" And the guy unzips the suitcase, flaps it open, and there it is. And Peter says, you brought pavers. <laughs> uh, now, the streets are paved with gold, so you brought road bricks. Uh, anyway, so that's the joke. There you go. You can laugh at this point. Uh, it's a joke, right? Not theologically correct, uh, but it makes a good point. Uh, and what's the point? The point is that uh, the new creation is going to be so wonderful, so prosperous. You know, you, you hear that description of the gold and the, and the precious stones and so on, so beautiful that nothing, anything in this life pales in insignificance compared to the wealth uh, of the new creation. Uh, and so it's, it, it's, it makes that point well, that joke, doesn't it? Um, so... Today, Jesus is going to give us investment advice. Now, uh, I hear, I don't have this sort of thing myself, but I hear that good investment advice is very expensive. Um, You can pay thousands of dollars for good investment advice. But today, you're going to hear the best investment advice you've ever heard. Seriously, that's a serious offer, and it's free, right? Uh, and, and there's no con, right? Uh, Jesus will give us the best investment advice ever, but it will feel risky to you. Uh, you'll hear it and you'll go, oh, that 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 feels risky. Because if you're going to take Jesus' advice, it takes faith and courage and godly wisdom. Uh, and so... Yeah, I just want to, uh, well, how about I pray for us? Because uh, what, what, what's going to happen is Corinne's going to come up and read from Luke chapter 16. We're going to think about it. Um, I actually, put the passage up on the screen. <clears throat> Sorry, the next, the Bible reading. Let's see if we can, there it is. And, and if you can go to the next slide there, I've got two questions. One is, what do you find surprising in this passage? And what's the main point? So you've got to think about that. It's it's like a, an investment seminar today. So it's going to be a little bit more interactive uh, than normal. Um, but what I want you to do is think about those two questions as Corinne reads in a moment. But how about I'll lead us in prayer to begin with. God our Father, please, uh, please set our hearts right before you as we hear the words of Jesus today. Uh, Father... Jesus' words are not always easy to understand, so please give us clarity and understanding. But more than that, please give us courage and faith to believe Jesus, to trust him, to know that he is in control even when we're not, and so that we're safe and secure to take his advice on board and live according to it. And please help us to spur one another on in these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Corinne, come on up, read from Luke chapter 16. This is the last in our series. As We're coming back to Luke later on, uh, Colin, but it will be next year. Uh, But I'll hand over to you, Corinne. Thank you.
0: Alrighty, so we've got Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer be my manager. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master has taken away my job. I am not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little can also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight.
1: Thank you, Corinne. Uh, Yes, so remember, this is one of Jesus' parables, uh, and Jesus' parables are intended to get us thinking, Uh, and so they're surprising, There's, there's lots of questions that they raise for us, and he wants us to think deeply uh, about what he's saying. I just want to make sure we're clear on the story before I get you thinking uh, together in pairs uh, about the meaning of it. So, uh, this, basically you have this manager. You know, you've know, you got this rich boss. He has a manager who looks after his affairs, his money and so on. But he's, he's accused by the boss of wasting the boss's money. And the bus, boss calls him in and says, ''You're fired.'' Your job is over, you're out of here. But before this guy leaves his job, he acts decisively. He thinks, I'm going to be out of a job. What can I do now to make life better for me then? So what he does is he calls in all these people who owe lots of money to his boss, and he gives them huge discounts. Uh, It's like it's massive discounts. So someone owes 3,000 litres of olive oil... He said, "No, no. Take your bill. Write 1500, and that's all you owe. You know, and 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 he just does that for you know for all the boss's customers. Basically, he's doing the wrong thing by his boss, but his intention is to make friends so that these people feel indebted to him, so that after he loses his job, uh, even though he's fired by his boss, uh, he'll have other friends out there who will kind of welcome." him him into their houses right so that's the story so the two questions talk to the person next to you what do you find surprising about this story and what do you think is the main point of this story and make sure you've got someone in proximity with you that you can chat about it be great if you had your bible open somewhere amongst you know the two or two or three of you and just have a chat see this is fun isn't it we're doing this interactively Uh, what is surprising what's the key point <clears throat> okay, okay, that's that's a good start. Um, uh, I reckon so, some of you are laughing so much that I, I wonder whether you're talking about the passage. But um, uh, so, but I, I reckon collectively we'll have some combined wisdom. So, what did you find surprising? Uh, put up your hand or call out an answer. Yep. What did you find surprising, Corinne? Okay. Well, let's have a look at what I found surprising. Point. Can we go to the next? Why does the boss commend his dishonest manager? That's surprising, isn't it? Uh, Did others find... Did others... Yeah, okay. Anything else that you... uh, Sorry, let me just tackle that one to start with. Um, Why would the boss commend the dishonest manager? Now, I want you to notice what it is the boss commends. Have a look at verse 8. The master or the boss commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Notice that he doesn't commend his dishonesty or his incompetence. He still gets the sack at the end of the day, but he does commend his shrewdness. Uh, And I can imagine the boss, you imagine a Gina Reinhardt or, you know, one wealthy person in Australia calling someone in uh, and then they and they say that manager of mine, they were incompetent, they were dishonest, they rightly got the sack, but I've got to give them this much. They were shrewd. They were shrewd. Uh, they might have ripped me off, but they, sur- they sure looked after their own future in the process. Uh, so, so I think that's what's going on. Uh, but, you know, I'm happy to kind of uh, have feedback from you all. But I think that's what's going on, commending the shrewdness, not self-centeredness or dishonesty or anything like that, just the sense of acting in light of the future. Uh, any other things that you found surprising? I find a few things. Yeah, yeah, Alan. <clears throat> yep. Okay. Okay, well, let, yeah, so Alan, I'm with you. So, so let me see what else I've got. I've got, why does Jesus, uh, why does Jesus use this dishonest manager as a role model? Uh, that was my second surprising thing. And the third thing is what Alan's just said. What does Jesus mean? Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. That just feels strange, doesn't it? So what does Jesus mean? And this is what parables are all about. they kind of inviting us to, to think, uh, to challenge our ideas. So I'm going to come back to those other two, questions, those other two surprising things in a little while. But I'll, first, what I want you to do <clears throat> is... Um, I want, you to, I want to ask you a, a few more questions. And so again, with that person next to you or the little group next to you, here's the first question. How would you live now if you knew that your life here on earth would go on forever? Don't worry about death. Life will just continue on. Sail past 80, past 90, past 100. Life just continues to go on. How would you live now if that was the case? Word to the person next to you. <clears throat> I'm actually really enjoying this because you're doing all the work and I just get to stand. All right, so what do you got? What do you got for me? Anyone um, put your hand up and uh, anyone over here have any thoughts? Yeah, Jane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you'd, you'd be saving up, trying to accumulate because you think uh, down the track at 120, 180, you know, I don't want to be working then. No, I want to be able to kick back and enjoy a long, long retirement. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Yep. Leslie. A, a faith okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so you'd like to have a stronger faith. You're more godly, sorry, than I am. In terms of, sorry, no, no, what I mean, Leslie, is, uh, in framing up the question, I wasn't kind of thinking in, in Christian categories, but I think, I think you're absolutely right. You, you actually want to have a faith that will sustain you. Uh, yeah, Jenny. Um, I'm feeling because I just thought, eat more chocolate, do Because <coughs> no, no consequences. Eat more chocolate, do less exercise. Yeah, okay. Because the consequences aren't as grave as you know yeah, they might have been. Um, yeah, so my, my sort of thoughts were try to earn money, accumulate stuff, try to get you know a, a position of power um, so that you know, um, I, can, I can kind of kick back and enjoy it for a long time. Just exa- I was right with Jane uh, in her thinking. And so you'd even be willing to go through some sacrifices now, short-term sacrifice, if it was going to set you up for a, a long, you know, enjoyable, prosperous life. Now, it's pretty obvious that life doesn't go on forever here, like death takes us all sooner or later, Um, you know, we've got 80 years, give or take, uh, on average, Um, and yet, (laughs) sorry, Yeah, and good on you, keep going, keep powering, (coughs) keep powering well beyond that, Um, so, (laughs) um, but it's interesting, isn't it, that so many people in our society live as if life is going to go on forever and, and don't really face up to death, don't want to admit that life will end in death and so they just keep accumulating, accumulating, accumulating as if it's just going to go on forever. It's not very wise when you think about it, isn't it, in face of the realities that we know are coming. All right, here's the second question. How would you live now if you knew that life ended in death and then there was nothing? Right, this is hypothetical. How would you live now if that was the case? Uh, again, talk to the person next to you. Okay, all right. I reckon collectively we've got some ideas. Any Anyone over this section of the room? Oh, over there, Nathan. Sleeping on a Sunday. <laughs> Sleeping on a Sunday. Because no consequences, yeah, yeah, okay. Gee, it's a... Eat, drink and be merry, yeah. Yeah. What's the point? Yeah, okay. Um, I think they describe it as YOLO. You only... This is the trendy people like me, you know. Um, You only live once, right? And that is, there's one life and then that's it. So what can I pack into this life? Uh, And so you... And it could take you in a reckless direction, couldn't it? Eat, drink and be merry, Uh, throw caution to the wind, suck the marrow out of life, or it could take you in a conservative direction where you go, oh, I want to kind of conserve life as long as I can because, you know, these few years are all I've got. Uh, Now, can you see that lots of people in our world kind of live like that? Uh, So, some live reckless or, or, or lives where you've got to You know, you've got to work out your bucket list and you've got to tick them all off because this is your only shot at it. And if you don't live that experience now, then it's gone forever. Um, Lots of people live like that and yet, when you survey Australians, most Australians believe that there is something beyond death, um, that, that, that this life is not all that there is. So that's a strange thing, isn't it? Most Australians live with the philosophy of you know, you've know you got to get it all done in this life because death at death that's all there is. And yet when you survey them, they don't really believe that this life is all that there is. It doesn't really make sense, does it? Here's my third question for you. How would you live now if you knew that life ended in death and then there was a day of judgment? Uh, a day, like the Bible says, when we will stand before God and there will be two outcomes. Heaven and hell. Right? How would that shape the way you live your life now? Right? Quick word to the person next to you. <coughs> All right, okay. Hopefully you've shared a couple of ideas. Anyone want to share their thoughts from the floor? Alan. Repent. Repent. Yeah, yeah. You actually go, oh, I need to sort things out with God. Yeah. Stop living a lot. Like, if I'm going to come face to face with him, I need to get my relationship with God sorted out now uh, and not be taken surprise on that day. Yeah. Other thoughts? Colin? Colin? You'd live as you do now, but this time, because, because you are a Christian, we know that now. Okay, all right, so, so what, what you're saying is that's how you're living right now. Yeah, okay, yeah, if we are Christians, this, this ought to be the frame in which we live our lives. Yeah, Peter. How long is this story? Get pe- a no. relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Oh. on the back of this Wow. Okay, so Tradey's truck on the back it says get into a relationship with Jesus Christ, God through Jesus Christ. Yeah. I reckon if if you knew this, which hopefully many of us believe, oh yeah, Graham. Do honour to Christ by fearless fearless courage. What's that? Okay, okay. Do honour to Christ by fearless courage. Now. Yep, yep, okay, awesome. Um, So I reckon if you were shrewd or clever, you would ensure that you're ready for that day of judgment. So as Alan said, repent. Get ready for that day. You do whatever you can to make sure not only you are ready, but the people you love, your family, your friends, you'd want them to be ready for that day. Um, uh, If if you are convinced that there is a day of judgment coming, can you see how it would completely reorientate your life? It completely upends your priorities, so you'll live life differently to the people around about you. Now, I reckon that is Jesus' point in this parable, and I've summarised the key idea of the parable as this: live now in light of the future realities of judgment, of heaven and hell. All right? Live your life now in view of that bigger horizon, not just what you see in this life, but what lies beyond death. Um, so the guy in Jesus' story, he knows something about the future. He's going to be out of a job. He's going to get the sack. So what he does immediately and urgently is he takes the opportunity to set things up for the future. Uh, And uh, he does it at his boss's expense by kind of doing deals uh, with all the people who owe stuff to his boss. And Jesus is calling on us, Christians... To imitate this dishonest manager, but not to imitate his dishonesty, not to imitate his self-centeredness or his uh, incompetence or anything like that, but to imitate his shrewdness, his cleverness, his wisdom. Uh, The way he not only understands the future, but he takes decisive action now. Have a look at verse 8, where Jesus says... The master commended the dishonest manager because he'd acted shrewdly. And then Jesus comments, for the people of this world, that is people who aren't Christian, the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. Uh, And the point he's making is that even someone like the dishonest manager sees the future and acts wisely and decisively now, surely that's what we Christians ought to do as well as we see the future involves a day when we will stand before God, then surely wise living is living with that horizon very clearly in our sights. You read the rest of the Bible and it's clear you can't buy your way into heaven. Uh, So, you know, because you couldn't read this passage standing alone from the rest of the Bible and think, oh, it's somehow saying... You can buy your way into heaven. No, you can't buy your way into heaven. The only way we can get to heaven is to trust the Lord Jesus and his death in our place. Um, So you can't buy your way into heaven and you can't buy friendships either. But you can use your money and your time wisely in light of the future that God has made crystal clear to us. A day is coming when each one of us will stand face-to-face before God. Um, a day is coming when all the people from our wider community will stand face-to-face before the God who made them. Our goal as a church is that all of us and many, many people from our wider community, that we will stand before God confident on that last day, uh, Confident, Confidence that comes from knowing Jesus and his death in our place and his love for us. Confidence um, that beyond the judgment, we will be welcomed into God's eternal home, uh, God's new creation. And as a church, we are committed uh, to, to using everything God gives us to that end, right? to making disciples of Jesus... Who persevere for the long haul. And so on that day, it won't be a day of dread, but a day of joy when God welcomes us into his eternal kingdom. That's our heartbeat. Uh, That's what we we want to be about. Um, Now, if you've got any, I will have an opportunity for questions towards, you know, at the end. So if any questions are coming to mind, please hold on to them. But Jesus wants to press us a little bit further in verses 10 to 15. Uh, And I've summarized what Jesus says with two questions. Firstly, are you being trustworthy with God's money? Verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So... If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? The key to understanding what Jesus is saying is the realisation that everything that you have does not belong to you. It's on loan from God. Now let me say that again, because I, I just think it's utterly countercultural. Um, people in our world don't believe this, but even us Christians struggle to take hold of that. Right? So let me say it again. Everything you have, it's been given by God, but it's been loaned to you or entrusted to you. It doesn't belong to you, it's God's. And he has given it to you to use according to his purposes. And one day, you'll stand before God and give an account for the way that you've used the things God has generously given to you. Um, And you might be sitting there thinking, well, I just don't have have much money. So I don't have a lot to kind of give. Um, And... Um, I reckon, firstly, we're probably more wealthy than we realize. Uh, But even that aside, even if you do have only a little, just notice what Jesus says. The principle is, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Uh, However much money God has given each one of us, he wants us to use it wisely in light of his eternal kingdom. And so I've already said our church is committed to using everything we have in light of God's kingdom to make and grow disciples that persevere to the end um, and here's some financial realities of our church at the moment uh, at the end of March our church was fifty thousand dollars behind budget now that's a long way to be behind budget you know three months into the year um, and we're you know we're thinking into you know a whole bunch of stuff it's not like our our pays have gone up and it's you know, costing heaps more in, in, in that regard. We, you know, we get a salary set and uh, anyway, it's not, it's not that. It's just that we've been through some tough years uh, with COVID and so on. And uh, as we head into this year, that's where we are. We don't talk a lot about money here at church. Um, and that's because so many Aussie, Aussies are very cynical about churches and money and sometimes for good reason, yeah? Uh, And so that's why we kind of, you know, we, we we don't talk about it a huge amount. But can you see that in this passage, Jesus is pressing us to think about money. He's wanting us to think about everything we have, but he keeps targeting money in particular. And the challenge is to invest what God has given us in his kingdom, for his purposes. And I want to ask, what will that look like for you in your life? Uh, Because I actually, I'm really glad I don't know all the circumstances of all your lives. Uh, I don't get told how much anyone gives in particular, and I think that's a really healthy place for it to be. But let me ask, have you established a regular pattern of giving and being generous uh, towards God and His purposes, um, because if you haven't established a regular pattern, maybe today is the day when you go. I'm going to sit down this week and think into that. Uh, and there is a, there is a resources page on our website if you want to you uh, you know be giving towards our church. Second question: How long since you have sat down and actually thought about this and kind of reviewed things uh, and weighed it up prayerfully. And thirdly, if you're a regular member of our church, so there might be some visiting today, uh, but if you're a regular member of our church, will you partner with us financially in our efforts to make disciples of Jesus? Because uh, that's what we're wanting to do. And we'd love you to partner with us in that, to actually join forces together in doing that. So there's question one. Are you being trustworthy with God's money? Question two, are you devoted to God or to money? Jesus doesn't pull punches, does he? Verse 13, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. All right? Now money is a good thing. Uh, And, you know, we can be thankful to God if God has given us stuff and money and so on. But the danger is if we're not careful, we can become devoted to it. And it can make us proud uh, and independent from God. And we actually find ourselves and our affections chasing after money more than we chase after God. And Jesus warns us what a dangerous place that is to be. Uh, We've actually got to make a choice. Will we serve money or will we serve God because we cannot serve both? Uh, And at this point, the Pharisees were exposed because they looked so good, so righteous. But look at verse 14. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others but God knows your hearts. What is highly what is, sorry, what people value highly is detestable in God's sight. See the Pharisees claimed to be utterly devoted to God, but Jesus has pinpointed the idolatry of their hearts, the way they loved money. And in the end, they loved money more than they loved God. Uh, And that played itself out in their lives. And Jesus calls them out. You have to make a choice. Now is the time to repent. Uh, Who will you serve, God or money? You can't serve both. Uh, And those words apply to us as well. Uh, You cannot serve God and anything else, including money. Uh, And so we need to make sure that those other things, those other good things like money or possessions, that we keep them in their rightful place as a gift from God, but to be used for his purposes uh, and to have a generosity of spirit in all of this. Now, before I I finish, I want to give you an opportunity uh, for any questions that might still remain unanswered. Um, So why don't you take a moment, talk to the person next to you, um, any questions that come to mind, and then I'll give us an opportunity for a question or two from the floor in just a moment, but why don't you just talk to the person next to you to begin with? Okay, I'm I'm keen to see whether anyone's got a question that they want to want me to answer from the front, um, Corinne. Yeah, wow. Yeah, thank you for expressing that, Corinne. um, So, what Corinne's saying is that it can feel overwhelming that there are so many good things that we could give to. So, you mentioned church, and then there's overseas missionaries, and then there's um, you know children, uh, you know compassion, and then there's the floods in Lismore, and and you just go, wow. How do you actually? Choose between all that sort of stuff, um, and I don't think I don't think there are any easy answers. I actually think it requires wisdom, uh, and I think these are really good things to talk with one another. I'm going to give you more uh, more more direction than that, but I do think um, just as you know, as we you know head towards retirement, we we wrestle with what's the best thing for me to do. How do I how do I head in that direction in a in a responsible way? We need, to th- we need to think carefully about what's God given me and what are the priorities. Um, so firstly, I think we want to make sure that our, we, there is a, a generosity of spirit that we always have. You look at Jesus, and he wasn't a boundaries guy, was he? Uh, when people came to him in need, he responded so beautifully, so freely, uh, and he gave of himself um, to, to the needs around about him. I think we always want to have that capacity to be generous to the needs around about us. Um, uh, and whether that's you know, within church or out of church, it's just w- w- what are the needs that come. So we want to have a heart of compassion and, and an ability to respond to needs around about us. Um, I think we also need to recognise that there are certain things... That only Christians will give to uh, and so there are a lot of good causes out there in the world um, but there are some things that only Christians will be committed to and one of those is um, the spread of the good news of Jesus here in the Tugra, in the Tugra region. Um, why would someone who's not a Christian have any commitment to that cause? Um, And to be honest, um, most people overseas aren't going to be committed to that cause. So what I think we need to recognise is that there's a primary responsibility we have as God's people here in this place for what God has called us to do in this region. Uh, And and I think if we don't give to that, then who who do we expect will? Uh, So God's people have to have a primary responsibility for... Their local region, but we no, we don't want it to kind of max out there. We want to have that generosity of heart that looks beyond us, and so um, I think it's it's um, it just requires that wisdom to go. Here's here's a primary responsibility that, but that doesn't mean I neglect the needs of the people in Lismore or the needs of the people, you know, over in. You know, in Ethiopia, where there's just war, torn famine, and all that sort of stuff. Now, I want to be able to respond broader to need, but without losing a primary responsibility for what God has is doing here amongst us in the work of the gospel. So, there's there's initial thoughts um, about that. Yeah. Any other questions? Okay. uh, it's challenging words from Jesus, hey, this morning. Um, And um, I want to wrap things up by saying, firstly, what do you believe about the future? Because that's the key first question to wrestle with. Do you believe life ends in death and then there is nothing? Um, Or do you believe Jesus rose from the dead and that, one day, each one of us will rise from the dead, and we will stand before the God who made us and give an account. Um, now, if you're not sure what happens, you know what what, what the future holds, then that's got to be the place to begin. Actually, become certain about these things. Don't live life feeling vague about death and what lies beyond. Uh, And we'd love you to come along at Easter, uh, because we're going to be looking at the death and resurrection of Jesus, because that changes everything. And we'd love you to join us for life in May, starting early in May, because we'd love you to wrestle with these things with us, uh, to consider whether Jesus' resurrection means that there's actually, we're all going to be raised from the dead and stand before the God who made us. That's the first key question to wrestle with. So then, having wrestled with that, many of us do believe uh, in the words of Jesus. We do believe that Jesus rose from the dead. We do believe that one day each one of us will stand before God. And what Jesus has done this morning, he has challenged us deeply. Yeah? He wants us to live wisely to make shrewd decisions in light of the future that he has clearly mapped out for us. He wants us to use our time and money in light of his kingdom. So I want you to take a moment in quiet reflection before I lead us all in prayer. Why don't you just uh, bring whatever you need to in your own heart before God, and then I'll wrap up in a prayer in just a moment. and lead us in prayer oh god our father we want to thank you for your amazing generosity to us you've given us everything we have life health prosperity uh, relationships and you give and you give and you've given the ultimate gift of your son the lord jesus suffering and dying on the cross in our place as our only way to get to heaven we thank you for your amazing kindness to us we are sorry that so often we become self-centered and short-sighted we take from you but we don't give we feel the attraction of money and the security that it brings uh, but so often we live short-sighted lives uh, for this world we take our eyes off your kingdom please forgive us and please change our hearts By your Spirit, give us godly, courageous wisdom. Wisdom to seek first your kingdom. Wisdom to use the things you have given us in light of eternity. We want to make a difference into eternity. Please take our lives, our church, all that we have, and use it for your kingdom and your glory. And we pray it in
0: Jesus' name. Amen.